Before you listen to this one, I have to tell you that for the entirety of the episode, I pronounce Stingy Jack, Stingy Jack. I didn't catch myself when I recorded it or when I edited it. At this point, going back and redoing everything would take a huge amount of time, so this is a blanket apology for my ridiculous mispronunciation. It's still a fun and spooky episode, so I hope you'll still give it a listen. And, of course, Happy Halloween. It is officially Halloween season, my favorite time of year. There's a satisfying crispness in the air, the leaves have turned brilliantly colorful, depending on where you are, and that means today you get your history with an extra side of spooky. There's a good chance that even if you aren't located next to a deciduous forest with what we consider to be a nostalgic autumn backdrop, you've probably already seen your fair share of pumpkins. They're everywhere right now, even in our coffee. Maybe you've even carved one, taking part in the newest form of a tradition that's centuries old. But why? Why do we do this every year? And what do we know about the origins of this ancient Celtic custom? Today, we're delving deep into folklore and exploring the history of jack-o'-lanterns, Along the way, we're going to meet the cheeky ne'er-do-well of legend many know as Stingy Jack. I'm your host, Kristen Robine Terpstra, and this is the History Cache. Let's have a look inside. Pumpkins are here, literally in the tons. According to the USDA National Agricultural Statistics Service, in 2020, 1.5 billion pounds of usable pumpkins with over 2 billion total were harvested in the U.S. alone. According to the Agricultural Marketing Resource Center, the annual per capita use of pumpkin in the U.S. weighs in at over 6 pounds per person. And besides being delicious, these fall favorites are jam-packed full of nutrients. In one cup of cooked pumpkin, you get over 200% of your daily vitamin A intake, 20% of your vitamin C, and you get more potassium than you do when you eat a banana. And it's a high-fiber food. Even the seeds are packed full of fiber, something I recently learned the hard way. We don't stop at eating the inside and outside of this lovable fruit. Yes, I know it sounds weird, but we do consider pumpkins to be fruit. We also carve faces and images into their hollowed-out corpses. We've been doing this with pumpkins for a couple centuries now. However, the tradition of carving faces into fruits and root vegetables specifically goes back much further, all the way back to Celtic Europe. According to Nathan Mannion, senior curator for the Irish Immigration Museum in Dublin, this tradition may have stemmed from the custom of head veneration, or could have even represented war trophies taken from foes, specifically their severed heads. That is speculation. We know much less about the Celts than we'd like to. 
but it seems the tradition of carving faces into root vegetables took hold during the Celtic festival of Samhain. Samhain is the origin of Halloween. According to National Geographic, Samhain was celebrated every year on November 1st. The night of October 31st, which we now celebrate ourselves, was a special time of year when the veil between this world and the other world were at its thinnest. Samhain was a festival that lasted between three to six days, halfway between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice. It signaled the transition between the darkest and lightest times of year. According to Jessica Traynor, poet and writer for the Irish Times, this was both a celebrated and trepidatious time when spirits walked the earth, and the living would prepare themselves for visitations of guests both welcome and unwelcome. From this air of anticipation and unease came traditions, which are both celebratory and defensive. To ward off the spookier stuff that pierced the veil, people carved faces into potatoes, beets, and especially turnips. This was also quite practical, according to Mannion, as metal lanterns were expensive, and these hollowed-out vegetables could carry an ember much more cost-effectively without its light becoming extinguished. There is an incredible example of an early jack-o'-lantern from around the 1850s in the National Museum of Ireland. It's a plaster cast of a ghost turnip, and please Google it, because it's just about the creepiest thing you'll see this season. It's got two hollowed-out beady eyes and a grimace full of teeth, and I totally want one for my desk. One of the earliest written accounts of a turnip lantern was recounted by English author James Howell in 1640 when he wrote of a, quote, a turnip cut like death's head with a candle in it. 200 years later, author William Henry wrote in 1839 that in Hampshire, young boys would scoop out the insides of a turnip, cut eyes into it, place a candle inside, then set it on a wall or a post. They'd then lead a younger boy to it, one who wasn't in on the joke, in order to scare him with it. According to Snopes, by the mid-19th century, jack-o'-lanterns became associated with Halloween specifically in Britain and Ireland, an association Irish immigrants would bring with them to the United States. It was in the U.S. that pumpkins took the place of turnips. Pumpkins were larger, easier to carve, and as a plant indigenous to the Americas, they were easy to come by. Once the tradition took hold in the U.S., carving pumpkins around Halloween took off, and it's become a beloved autumn custom. Carving faces into root vegetables and later pumpkins is a tradition that has evolved over time. And the folklore surrounding it has evolved, too. Folklore is a tricky thing sometimes. Its origins are often hazy, the sources can be scarce and inconsistent. The traditions and stories that spring up from a particular piece of folklore can vary widely, even from county to county, village to village, as different communities come up with their own versions of a story and their own ways of celebrating it. Pinning down the precise details can be difficult, and this is the case with the origin of the term jack-o'-lantern, which is debated. For instance, according to Merriam-Webster, the name was derived from a 17th century British term for night watchmen who carried around lanterns at night. The name Jack was often used to refer to a person you didn't know, in the way John Doe is today. 
So an unknown man carrying a lantern around at night would be referred to as Jack with the Lantern, or Jack of the Lantern. However, most sources point to another origin, a story, one used to explain a natural phenomenon that we didn't understand. In bogs and marshy areas, when pockets of gas generated from decaying plants, specifically methane and carbon dioxide, are ignited by phosphine, a light is emitted. A blue flame with a yellow luminosity can be seen, albeit briefly, during the process of decay. And hundreds, or more, years ago, before we understood these decomposition processes, we came up with stories to explain this phenomenon. A phenomenon more widely known as Will-o'-the-Wisps, or sometimes Foolish Fire. Today, sightings of Will-o'-the-Wisps are extremely rare, and seem to have become even rarer perhaps due to the disturbance of natural habitats, including the draining of swamplands and increased habitation as rural areas become industrialized. Human interference has decimated the populations of key animals in bog environments, like frogs and storks. This has hindered what were once large natural landscapes from maintaining their healthy ecosystems. There's a paper done by the British Royal Society that does a great job of helping to explain this phenomenon, which I'll include in the show notes. There are all sorts of stories about lights leading weary travelers to their deaths in bogs. Bogs and marshes can be dangerous places, so if you were to see something like this, decided to be curious and go examine what it was in the dark, there's a chance you could drown or tangle with a potentially deadly bout of hypothermia. These cautionary tales had their place and served an important purpose. They warned of danger. Danger which we attributed to fairies, ghosts, or other supernatural entities, purposefully leading travelers into peril. These stories served as a way to warn us of potential dangers and helped us to explain the unknown. One folktale in particular centered around Will-o'-the-Wisps and the tradition of carving faces into things around Halloween just may be the source of the term jack-o'-lantern. It's the story of Stingy Jack, a tale with dozens of different versions, all of them centering around the shenanigans of Jack, a brash ne'er-do-well who outwitted the devil. Jack wandered the world, carrying his lantern at night to see his way, hence Jack-o'-lantern. Several versions of the tale of Stingy Jack were published in the 1800s, and seeing as it's Halloween season, what better way to celebrate than share with you this centuries-old story? There are numerous accounts to choose from. The following is derived and inspired from both the romance of Jack-o'-lantern written in 1851 and Jack-o'-the-lantern from 1892. So cozy up, grab a hot cider, and dim the lights. It's time for a Halloween story. In the pastoral countryside of Ireland, inside a meadow dotted with bright pockets of heather and pillows of green clover, stood a cottage. It was the home of a man named Jack. He was brash, unfriendly, and had the reputation of being rather hard-hearted. 
Jack was not a fan of other people. Unfortunately for him, he still needed their business to make a living. Jack was a cobbler, and a fairly decent one. Good enough that, despite his penchant for disagreeableness, people were always coming by to have their shoes and boots repaired. While at Jack's cottage, his customers all seemed to engage in the same antics, which constantly annoyed him. They took branches from his favorite sycamore tree, had the audacity to sit in his favorite chair as if they owned the place, and were always messing about with the tools in his toolbox. One evening, a stranger appeared at Jack's door. This wasn't a customer, but a lonely wanderer, simply looking for a night out of the rain. Rather uncharacteristically, Jack took pity on the drifter, offering him a dry bed for the night. As is so often the case in tales like these, the poor wanderer was no wanderer at all. He was an angel in disguise. And the angel was so pleased with Jack's atypical kindness that he was granted three wishes. While the angel probably expected Jack to wish for things like world peace, fortune, or true love, instead, he was decidedly vindictive with his three wishes. First, Jack wished that anyone who sat in his favorite chair from now on would be stuck there indefinitely until he allowed them to leave. Secondly, Jack wished that anyone so bold as to reach into his toolbox would never be able to remove their hand from it until he granted them permission to do so. Thirdly, Jack wished that anyone who grabbed a branch from his sycamore tree would be unable to let go of it until he released them. The angel was in a bit of a pickle now. Jack had obviously used his wishes selfishly, short-sightedly, and even begrudgingly. But the angel couldn't deny him. However, because of his selfishness, Jack would now be denied entry into heaven upon his death. Seems like a bit of an overreaction to him just wanting people to quit messing with his stuff, but this story is a 19th century Christianized version of what probably used to be a pagan folktale explaining will-o'-the-wisps, so them's the breaks. The angel disappeared, and Jack's three wishes were granted. Over the years, Jack eventually grew into old age. He had led a prosperous life, though a loveless and bitter one, and in his remaining years, he was as cantankerous as ever. Finally, death came to collect Jack. Jack knew his time was nigh, so when there was an unexpected rapping at his door, one cold, dreary night, he knew it was a devil's minion come to collect his soul. Jack's hostility was matched by his cleverness, and he was ready for the demon. Jack invited it in, and told the minion it should have a nice sit in his favorite chair as he gathered his things. It was a long journey back to hell, and the minion did enjoy a good sit, so it plopped down in Jack's chair. The very chair Jack had the angel bewitch. The devil's minion soon found himself irreversibly stuck in his seat. In the story The Romance of Jack-O-Lantern from 1892, the following rhyme was written. In Jack's own seat the servant sits, and there is fastened tight. Jack takes his flail, and without fail he flogs him left and right. 
and he is scored. The flunky roared at length. He firmly swore that if set free from thence, he'd flee and never come back more. With that, the minion left, and Jack dodged both death and damnation. Not willing to lose his prize of a soul, the devil sent a second minion, who arrived again at Jack's cottage. Jack told the new minion he would gladly travel with it to hell, but first he would need to mend his shoes for the journey. The minion, thinking that was a perfectly reasonable thing, agreed, and Jack asked him to hand him his favorite awl from his toolbox so he could get started mending his shoes right away. When the minion reached into Jack's toolbox because of Jack's second wish, it too found itself stuck. In 1892 again, the following verse was written. Within the box he poked his hand, and there is tightly held, then Jack applied his famous flare until the flunky yelled. He yelled and roared while old Jack scored until, as the first swore, the second flunky swore to go and trouble Jack no more. For a second time, clever Jack had outwitted the devil, who finally said, fine, I'll do it myself, then went to collect Jack himself. Upon arrival at Jack's door, the devil roared, smoking and crackling with flame, making a rather big show of it all. He was frustrated. Jack had fooled his minions, but surely this pitiful mortal would not fool the king of hell himself. Jack told the devil he knew it was his time. No more tricks, no more stalling the inevitable. He was ready to meet his fate. The devil was pleased with Jack's surrender and told him to immediately prepare for his final journey. Jack agreed, but told the devil he'd become so lame that he would either need a walking stick for the trek or the devil would have to carry him on his back. That would look a bit silly, thought the devil. Surely he couldn't be seen marching back to hell giving this human a piggyback ride. So the devil reached into Jack's sycamore tree to break him off a walking stick. And because of Jack's third wish, the devil found himself instantly stuck. Jack, who was not, in fact, lame, yelled with joy at having tricked the devil himself and began beating the crap out of him with his trusty flail. In other versions of this story, Jack tricked the devil into turning into a coin at a pub, which he put next to a cross in his pocket, making it impossible for the devil to escape until he'd granted Jack ten more years of life. When the devil came back ten years later to collect, Jack convinced him to climb a tree to fetch him an apple, at which point he carves a cross into it, making it impossible for the devil to climb down. Jack released him after making him promise he would never try collecting his soul again. In every version I found, the ending is the same. When the devil is stuck in Jack's tree, Jack tells him he'll only release him if he promises he'll never have to go to hell. Out of options, the devil agrees. So now, Jack is safe from an eternity in hell, but he's also still barred from ever entering heaven. That left Jack with nowhere to go. And Jack, like all of us, still had to die at some point. Upon death, he wandered aimlessly, barred from heaven, barred from hell, never resting, never finding peace. Eventually, he decided even hell would be better than wandering the earth as a restless spirit for all eternity. So he made the journey to the gates of hell, asking to be let in, but he was denied entry. 
Where should I go then? Jack asked the devil, who replied he'd have to go back to Earth. For his journey back, the devil gave Jack a lantern carved from a turnip and filled with a coal from the fires of hell to light his way. Now, Jack and his lantern can still be seen wandering through the night, especially on Halloween, when the veil between the living and the dead is at its thinnest. Curious travelers who see his flame and follow it do so at their own peril. That's how Jack the Cobbler became Jack O'Lantern, a soul doomed to wander the in-between for all eternity. An old folk tale that warns us not only about chasing after unknown lights, but also to be careful what we wish for. We know the tradition of carving faces into turnips has been around since long before anyone wrote down the tale of Stingy Jack, and that carving faces into pumpkins came later. However, it's definitely possible the term jack-o'-lantern was indeed inspired by his story. According to the Irish Times, as the custom of carving turnips and pumpkins on Halloween evolved over time, it changed from something that was intended to scare away spirits and into a way to scare off Stingy Jack himself. Again, dozens of versions of this story exist. The origins of Halloween itself are ancient and Celtic, and trying to decipher the exact details about why a turnip carving practice was started in the first place is, at best, a murky exercise. Halloween emerged from an ancient tradition, one that connects us to people who lived and celebrated during this same time of year thousands of years ago with reverence, trepidation, and festivity. That ancient human connection itself, if blurry, is still incredible, and I think that's why I love this time of year so much. So when you carve your jack-o'-lanterns or binge on too much candy while dressed like a ninja turtle, you're part of one long, ancient chain of unbroken celebration. And I hope you and yours have the happiest of Halloweens. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed digging into the origins of jack-o'-lanterns and hearing the old tale of Stingy Jack. Hugest of shoutouts to my newest patrons, Jan and James. You are the vitamin A in my pumpkin spice, which is my weird way of saying thank you. If you like the show, please consider rating and following on iTunes or wherever you listen. This really does help make the show more visible out of the ocean of podcasts floating around out there. I'll be back again in three weeks with more history for you. Until then, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can email me at historycashpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to help support the show, you can check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash historycashpodcast. You can also make a one-time donation. You can access the link for that on the website under the support tab. That website is historycashpodcast.podbean.com. Background music is licensed through Envato Elements, theme song from Audio Jungle. Stay safe, stay spooky, stay curious. And until we meet again, my dear friends, go make some history.